0: hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: Thanks Stu. Yeah, good evening everyone. It's lovely to see you here uh, together. Um, Just before we get started on um, our Bible reading uh, as ever, I I just want to say a few words of introduction. Here's a question. What to say in hard times? What to say in hard times? That's what we're thinking about this evening. And uh, we're doing that through the lens of Romans 8. It's a chapter in a letter of the Apostle Paul that we've been following. And the verse that we've come to is Romans 8, uh, verses 26 uh, to 30. And these are kind of fridge magnet verses, right? They are greetings card verses. If you know what I mean. A go-to verse for many Christians. Uh, Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In a moment, we're going to be spending a bit of time thinking what that actually means. And we're going to do that by looking at it in its original habitat as it works. It often gets pulled out of here and see it in the context of Romans. And what he was trying to say here more broadly. But before we do that... I would like you to have a look at these five catchphrases. Uh, now don't put them up yet. Five things that you may have heard people say as they struggle to uh, find strength in hard times. And I'd like you as ever to chat to the person next to you if you like. Uh, and what I would, would like you to do is to rank the five phrases that you're going to see on, on, uh, on the screen in just a moment. Wait for it. Rank them in order of how helpful you think they are, okay? Now, I'm going to give you a little trigger warning, okay? Because one of them is a little bit rude. I'm I'm sorry, but I just think we hear this one a lot, and it represents kind of so much of the popular approach to difficult times. So if this is going to be difficult for you, I have put some asterisks in, and it, it will hopefully, forgive me if it's difficult, okay? All right, so... You're going to talk to the person next to you, some people around you, and rank these five phrases in order of helpfulness. Okay. I love those kind of moments. I love those moments. Uh, okay. Okay. I'll tell you what. Um, let's do the following. Let's have our Bible reading. Uh, which is from Romans 8, uh, verse 28 to 30. Okay, We're gonna, uh, so do find it in the scriptures, and I'm going to just very quickly sort this out. Okay, and that's Veronica. Uh, thank you so much. Come.
2: <laughs> so the reading is Romans 8, starting at verse 18. It's on page 1145 in the Pew Bibles. So Romans 8, starting at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called; those He called, He also justified; and those He justified, He also glorified. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Fantastic. My apologies, everyone. The mistake is entirely mine. Now I am going to give you these five phrases, okay? And you can add your own in your discussion. And I'd like you to rank, it may not be quite so technically accurate, this exercise, but you will still get the same benefit out of it, okay? In order of helpfulness, and I'm going to give them to you randomly, okay? Here's the first one. You may want to make a note of these, but you'll remember them, you may have your own versions of them. Okay, what to say in hard times? Number one, every cloud has a silver lining. Every cloud has a silver lining. Okay? That's one. Every cloud has a silver lining. Here's another one. Um, everything happens for a reason everything happens for a reason these are the kind of things that people uh, say in uh, situations of hardship here's uh, another one these things were sent to try us these things were sent to try us okay Uh, here's another one God is good God is good hard situation God is good Okay, and I didn't really want to say my rude one. Uh, okay, I've got to say it now. Uh, right. Um, bleep happens. Okay, bleep happens. Okay, so that, let's, let's see if we can just go through those one more time. Okay, and you probably have some other ones that might be, might be helpful to have in this conversation. Okay, uh, every cloud has a silver lining. Uh, everything happens for a reason. God is good. Oh, look at that. We have some amazing, that's just fantastic, without the if. Uh, And yes, well, look at these guys. Can we just, you guys are amazing. My fault, my total incompetence, your brilliance. I love that, the best things. Do you know what, this is like a parable of what I'm going to be saying later on. Anyway, right, okay, talk to people next to you. Which of those do you find helpful? Why and in what order? Okay, off you go. All right, okay. Now, listen, you can keep those conversations going uh, later on, but I hope that's got you in, uh, into the right frame of mind for what we're thinking about today. And listen, I, I, I thought twice about asking that to begin with, because with all the sort of fun and games about it, I realized that this question of what we say in hard times is not an abstract question, is it? And for some of us today, it would be definitely not abstract, you know, you're really feeling the pain right now of suffering and a hard time. You need a perhaps for you right now, you, you sort of need an answer to this question, almost like on the level that you know you need oxygen when the, the waves are pulling you down right now. I recognise it's, it's this is a really big deal. Or perhaps it's not your life, but you're accompanying someone through a time of real hardship and suffering, and actually it's really shaking you, and you're thinking, what what what, if anything, can I say? of use. What sense do I make of my suffering and the trials that this person is going to? So I want to be careful this evening. I don't want to peddle cheap truths. I think there's a particular type of um, Christian spirituality, which I don't think is very biblical really, that kind of says, oh, you've got to just short circuit it. You know, when it's difficult, just wheel out your memory verse, you know, get your little mug with the thing on it and it'll be fine. And I don't think that's how the Bible teaches us to deal with difficult situations if you want to read the Psalms for example a great place to go full of people wrestling with the Lord saying why Lord why is this gone like this help me make sense of it but at the same time the scriptures also give us concrete truths realities about God and the world about ourselves that we are called to, to hold on to things that help us with hope and purpose in hard times and this is one of them, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. In all things God works for our good. We're going to spend most of the time this evening looking at that all things. What does that actually mean, all things? Which things? But actually every word in this verse is important. So if you haven't got it there in front of you, do look it up in your Bibles or on your phones. Romans 8:28. It says all things. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. In all things God works. God works. People say, don't they, bleep happens. That was the rude one. And you know, I don't know what you, how you reflected on this. On one level, that phrase has a refreshing honesty about it, doesn't it? It doesn't try to jump to a solution. Oh, there it is. Well done. Thank you, guys. Super, super. Um, It does have a refreshing honesty. You know, we don't have to jump to a solution too quickly. Then again, it doesn't really offer any solution at all, does it? It kind of imagines a world like some eternal snooker shot where basically one cause bumps randomly into a next and if you're standing in the wrong place, you get hit. Well, Paul says no. No, rather, there is a mind, there's an intention behind the lies. He, the Lord, is at work. Can we go to the next slide, please? Brilliant. That's why at the other end of the spectrum, we have God is good. God is good. Perhaps that's the one you went to. And that seems like a very awfully basic thing to say in a moment of suffering, but it makes a lot of sense because if we believe we're in God's hands... And the most important question we can ask, what kind of a person's hands are we in? What's the character of the one who holds my days? And so we say to one another, God is good. Because we're trying to say when all is said and done, the one who is over my life is good. And so I can trust him. The problem also is that with God is good, sometimes we just don't feel that way. We, we feel like life has gone bad. And so sometimes to say just God is good begs the question, well, how? Because I can't feel it now. And so that brings us to uh, this phrase, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. First of all, let me break this down. Next slide, please. In our circumstances, in all our circumstances, God works for our good. In preparation for today, I was uh, rereading part of a book called *Killing Fields, Living Fields*. Anyone familiar with this book? It's a few people. Guys, if you've got some time, great. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of full-on uh, holiday read, uh, but it's brilliant. It's the story of the Cambodian church under the Khmer Rouge uh, in the 70s. Now, the Khmer ran an authoritarian regime. And they suspected any Western involvement, uh, any Western-related activity. And so one of the challenges for all Christians at that time was their relationships with any foreign agencies. And this book tells how one uh, Cambodian uh, Bible teacher was visited by some Westerners. And then shortly afterwards, some Khmer uh, soldiers arrested him for a meeting that he'd held on December the 24th. And they said, why are you, a Khmer, um, celebrating Christmas? This is a Western religion. Uh, I'm a Christian. Sophia, that's his name, replied. Uh, and they said, you're working for the CIA. You're going to be imprisoned. Now, Sophia was uh, locked in a tiny filthy cell with a whole load of uh, other prisoners and almost nothing else. One of the other prisoners there was very, very sick. He um, was an old man. And he asked Sophia, look, which God is it that you cry out to? Uh, and he replied, i oh, he's the living, the living God, the creator, the savior of the whole world and Sophia continued to disciple this guy in prison and the man eventually accepted Christ and then shortly afterwards died. Well, the guards regularly uh, interrogated uh, Sophia, uh, and uh, they tried to break his spirit um, but he was determined to be found guilty for nothing other than following Christ and so he held on but with time, the conditions were so terrible, um, his, his health deteriorated and he was sent to hospital. Now in that hospital was a Cuban doctor. The reason there was a Cuban doctor in there is because the Cubans were about the only people that the Khmer trusted. Uh, so they were happy to take uh, from overseas uh, Cubans. And this Cuban doctor, totally extraordinarily, turned out to be a Christian. And when he heard Sophia's story, uh, he, he hatched a plan uh, one night, when there was a really, really vigorous storm outside, no one was out, out on the streets. Um, he he waited for the guard to leave, then he collected some uh, a change of clothes, took them back to Sofia, and then released him into the night, out the back door of uh, the hospital. And Sofia escaped to Thailand, then went to the States, and, and eventually returned back to to pastor, actually in Cambodia. Now, I tell you this detailed story not because it's particularly important but just because it's representative of so many Christian testimonies. Christian history is full of those kind of stories, how in our circumstances, God works for our good. Terrible circumstances in this situation. Unjust imprisonment. Turn to good, the salvation of this elderly, weak man just before the end of his life. And then God reverses them in just this extraordinary way. He brings this Cuban doctor to this Guy And then uh, enables him to escape. And if you know the Bible, it's, it's, that kind of a story is absolutely all over the scriptures as well. So Joseph's brothers leave him for dead. And he ends up running the food distribution in Egypt to save many, many thousands of lives as a result. Uh, under the threat of death, baby Moses gets put in the bulrushes. But because of that, he gets found by Pharaoh's daughter. Goes in to live with her. Uh, gets fast-tracked into Egyptian high society, which becomes mighty useful because he has to negotiate the release of the people of Israel from the same society at the end uh, of their time in Egypt. And, of course, the cross is the ultimate example of this. At the moment of Jesus' seemingly weakest, greatest defeat, God turns it into victory, the salvation of the world. So... As Christians, we we believe in that kind of a God, the God who overturns the natural order of things, who tears victory out of the jaws of defeat. Who, when things look like they're going, the worse, he is able to turn them for the best. And so it is in our circumstances. Even in the most extreme and painful circumstances, seemingly unfixable situations, and all of those situations at one point looked that way, God may work. For our good. Now there's more to be said, but I wonder if we just take a moment to think about that and step back from that just for a moment. Are you able to step back from some of the struggles in your life and see where the Lord has been at work? Perhaps it's time after a difficult moment in your life to, to actually see, perhaps even to name, how the Lord has turned around. Real adversity, real hardship for your good. Hold on to that thought. We might, we might come back to it um, later on. But of course, to say that God works for our good is not to say that we can always make sense of that good ourselves. Or to put it another way, I uh, don't know whether you like this one, it's no bad thing to say every cloud has a silver lining. What about if you can't actually see the silver lining? It might be there. You just might not be able to see it. And in the same way, to use another popular phrase, everything happens for a reason, is, I think, popular for precisely the reason that it implies you may or may not know that reason. And so it is also for us as Christians. Whilst we believe that in our circumstances God works for our good, we don't always know how or how his purposes work out and just to illustrate that, I'd love to come back with you. Now, you're going to have to focus on the Bible and exactly what it says here for a moment. So if you can't see it, do find it. Romans 8, verse 26. Find it on your tablet, phone, whatever, in, 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 the, in, the, in the pew Bibles. This is a very, very strange little bit of scripture here. But let me see if uh, I can just un- unpack it for us, because I think it really helps us. So this, this is what it says. Romans eight, twenty-six. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That is, we often, we feel very weak. We feel unable to change our circumstances in the middle of hardship. And then he goes on, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Familiar situation? You know, at times things are difficult. Sometimes they're so difficult, you don't even know. It's so confusing. You don't even know what you would want to change if you could change something. You don't even know what to ask for. But, uh, Paul goes on. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. What's that about? I think what he's saying is there is something strange and wonderful that happens in God the Trinity for us. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit makes an appeal to the Father on our behalf. They talk to each other about you. There's a thought. The Trinity converse about our lives. They talk about us, particularly when it's gone so terribly wrong. And I think that's why it says the Spirit intercedes with wordless groans. I think it means this is conversations on a level that is way beyond our pay grade. The kind of topics that you and I could just never even fathom. We could never get our heads around it. And somehow this discussion in the Trinity between the Spirit and the Father advances our cause and the purposes of God. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I think that's what that's about. So that's an extraordinary idea. But even whilst everything is just crumbling, we can make no sense of it. The Lord, in the Godhead, there is a conversation about us that his will would would come. Many of you will know uh, about Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, Corrie ten Boom was an amazing Christian lady. She harbored uh, Jews in her home in Holland during the Second World War. And she popularized a poem. And in this poem, it talks about two sides of a tapestry and how it takes one side, which looks like a complete mess, to make the other side, which is so beautiful. And she uses that as an image of what God, uh, how God works in all our circumstances for our good. Here it is. Uh, you may well know it. He said, uh, she, she quotes, my life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colours, he worketh steadily. Ofttimes times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares, nothing this truth can dim. He gives his very best to those who leave the choice with him. In our circumstances, God works for our good. Okay, that's the biggest point I want to make. The next one's a bit more brief. In our character, secondly, in our character, God works for our good just been saying how God has a purpose we don't always know what that purpose is and that's part of the challenge having said that the Bible does actually tell us some of what God's purpose is in our trials and sufferings because the Bible tells us Romans 8 verse 28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him keep going who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew you. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's plan for us is to be conformed to the image of his son, that is, to be made more and more like Jesus. So, in our difficulties, for all the things we don't know, here is one thing we do know God longs for our character to be changed. A few years back, I ran a course uh, in my previous church called How People Change. It was a course based on a book by the same name, uh, by a guy called Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane. And uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant consideration of this whole issue of, of change. And very early on in this book, they make this astonishingly simple, but I think quite revolutionary observation. They write, we are all crying out for change. There is probably never a day that we don't think about how things might be different. The change most needed in our lives, however, isn't change in our situations and relationships, but change in us. The change most needed in our lives isn't change in our situations and relationships, but change in us. Where do we get that from? places like Romans 8.28, God's great agenda for change, even before changing our circumstances around us, is us ourselves, changing us. So often we we pray, don't we? Lord, please take away this situation. Nothing nothing wrong with that prayer. But what if the Lord intends that very situation to change you? It's not going to go away because he's got you busy working on your or my character. What if the pain that we're going through right now is there to grow our compassion? What if the confusion that we're experiencing is there to grow our humility? What if the failure that we have just gone through will grow our dependence on him? What if he's more interested in changing us even than our circumstances? There's a thought. Now, as I say that, I want to be careful because um, one of the phrases I mentioned right at the beginning was, uh, these things were sent to try us these things were sent to try us. And uh, while I think that technically that phrase does have a kind of glimmer of truth about it, uh, at least in the spirit that I've heard it, it can be uh, quite negative. I remember speaking to um, a a lady in her late uh, 90s, and she had suffered immensely in her life. She'd had calipers on her legs until the age of 10. She'd had an abusive father. And It broke my heart she sort of rather caustically said repeated this saying you know all these things are sent to try us and and it sort of sounded like in her head um god is some kind of sadist frankly sort of deliberately throwing obstacles in the way of people and just waiting for us to sort of see whether we trip over them but it's not like that at all That, that that's not the god that we see here God does use our difficult situations to change us. And indeed, part of that is to challenge us. But it's for our good. Because what could be better for us? What could be better than for you and I to reflect more the Lord Jesus? To be conformed to the image of his son. So perhaps that's a word for you this evening as you're wondering, what is going on in my situation right now? Why is this? so difficult. What on earth is happening? Is it that the Lord is using those circumstances to change your character, that it might better reflect the Lord Jesus? Preparation for today, I um, got out my um, remembrance uh, book, Testimonies from Servicemen and Women. And uh, it's wonderful. I always get slightly lost in it, and then I have to sort of concentrate and write my sermon. But anyway, one of my favorite ones is the story of the Reverend Lovell Pocock, who I'm sure you'll be familiar with, probably not, uh, was a chaplain in the Navy during the Second World War. 1941, he was serving in in Singapore uh, as the Japanese army were approaching. And there were air raid sirens going on. uh, There were falling bombs. ever more frequent, and um, the atmosphere in Singapore was, was really getting pretty tense. On December the 11th, uh, two large ships left uh, Singapore, uh, full of people, accompanied by four destroyers, and they were sunk by Japanese torpedo bombers. Now, at the time that all of this was happening, the same time that all of this was happening, the Reverend Lovell Pocock had the sense that people were growing in their spiritual awareness So on Christmas Eve, he preached this sermon. This is what he said. He said, you've got to think, these are people who are hearing bombs. He said, tonight I put it to myself and I put it to you that our first priority is not the Japanese closing in or the blazing oil tanks or even our own lives. The first priority is that Jesus Christ should be born and installed, and established, and enthroned in every heart here. Wow. God longs for us to be conformed to the likeness of his son, for the Lord Jesus to to be the center and the whole picture of our lives in our character. He works for our good. And finally, and I'll say this just very, very briefly, because we're going to major on this uh, next week. In our future... In our future, God works for our good. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The Greek scholars, um, uh, they have a bit of a field day on this particular passage. They love to point out, Um, the tenses of uh, these words. If you remember your um, language studies, um, you may be equally interested. Uh, They're all in the past tense, right? All these verbs, like things that have have happened. And that makes sense to a certain extent, predestined, called, justified. But then he also says they have been been glorified. What do you mean, Paul? We're all just still on the earth for the moment. We're we're still waiting. And scholars tend to uh, enjoy explaining, you know, Probably what was going on, Paul was just, he was so clear, he was so sure that our future was certain. That he could talk about it as if it's in the past tense. So definite it's going to happen, you might as well say, it's done. And I guess that's the last part of how we understand as Christians, that God could work for our good. And that's why uh, those last words, words are so important. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose because it's only in relationship with God, it's only if we know him that we have confidence about our ultimate future. So that whatever happens in between now and then, we know where we will be eventually. One last uh, little illustration. Um, I came across uh, a fortunately uh, soon discontinued method of extraction for uh, military personnel who had been, um, who had been, Sort of dropped into some area to, uh, to do kind of recce and spying uh, in the 60s and 70s. And basically they'd send a, a spy in, the would go and have a look at some things, and, and then they'd want to be taken out and taken back to home or whatever. And they gave the, the spy um, a couple of stakes and a rope to put between these stakes. And the, the, they would have to sit down on the ground in a special jacket and then a, a, an aeroplane would fly along with a great big sort of like uh, crocodile clip on the front of the airplane and just snap onto this rope and whisk the person off. And you can look it up on YouTube. It is absolutely terrifying to even imagine what it felt like to have, you know, suddenly go from zero to, a, you know, 220 knots in the matter of about half a second. But anyway, you can imagine, you know, the, ration, like the mindset of the person who's sitting there is like, this is going to hurt. This is going to be pretty challenging here, right? But also, I need to get the safety. And on the end of that rope, I know where I'm going. And ultimately, later on, I'm going to be back at home having a cup of tea with my family or my friends or whatever. That's where I go. I know where I'm going. And so I'm prepared to go through the challenges, the buffeting, the enormous discomfort of now for the promise of then. And I guess it's the same for us as Christians. In all things we know God works for our good because we know ultimately where we're going. All right, let's just take a moment uh, of quiet. Has the Lord has spoken to you about one particular part of the scriptures. I'm just going to ask the band to come up and uh, join me as we do so. Perhaps you can think back to that experience that I asked you about earlier. Something in your own story where you can see how God has turned bad for good. And it's a time to be grateful to him. Perhaps you're right in the thick of real suffering and challenge. And today is a day to find new faith. Or at least to cry out to the Lord in the midst of that that he would give you a sense of what he's doing. Perhaps today is a a day to reflect on what God is doing in you, in your character. Or finally, perhaps he's calling you to fix your eyes on that long-term perspective. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing, sovereign, kind power. Lord, we thank you that we can trust you for our day-to-day and for our ultimate future. But Lord, the way is challenging. We are often buffeted by doubt and confusion. So Lord, come and comfort us, direct us, reset our hearts, and draw us forward with the confidence that we are in your hands, that you have us, that we know where we're going, that it is with you, and that you are good.
0: Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk.